It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture, and we will. Let's begin with now. Hey there, welcome to episode 322 of Find Your Food Voice. I'm your host, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian and I help people with a complicated relationship with food to rewrite their fate. And today's topic for this episode is on how to help the younger people in your life. So you may have just started to do the work on your own complicated relationship with food and recognizing how much shame and blame you may be carrying with you and probably been holding on to for years, if not decades, things that really were picked up when you were a child. And as you are trying so hard to dismantle that, to let go of those burdens and realizing how hard this is, you may be thinking about those children in your life that could also go through the same experience. Can you prepare them to take on less shame? Maybe. I think it can be really powerful to teach certain things to kids in your life, especially if they have a genetic connection to type 2 diabetes or PCOS or insulin resistance. There are some really important parts of our relationship with food and how we see bodies that can be very powerful one for their own body image, but then also for like the whole experience for your community, for weight bias and uh, stigma, like that whole system of oppression. If we could teach kids to think of bodies differently, it could have a really big impact. And yeah, maybe help your child's experience to be less traumatic, but then also your neighbor's child to have less trauma in their relationship with food and navigating their health as it relates to their relationship with food. So I have five different things to teach you and we're going to get to it, but quick, uh, a sponsor break, but then I'll be right back with the five things to consider to teach your child to help them to not take on all this shame and blame and instead navigate the relationship with food in a way that's gonna help themselves and everyone around them. This episode of Find Your Food Voice is brought to you by my Decoding and Demystifying PCO Carb Cravings webinar. 
I wish you weren't taught to be ashamed of your PCOS carb cravings. You aren't weak for having them. You aren't gluttonous for eating in response to them either. You aren't doing it wrong. I wish you were taught these carb cravings are insightful. I have noticed there are two different types of PCOS carb cravings that give amazing, distinct intel. I wish you were taught from the get-go that both are to be trusted. Are PCOS carb cravings annoying as fuck? You bet. Should they be ignored or tricked? No way. Let's fix this. I'm putting together a mini training on PCOS carb cravings. It's a bite-sized lesson to help you move from chaotic with cravings to decoding their wisdom. You'll also learn the two different types of PCOS cravings and what they are telling you about your current PCOS symptom management. At this free webinar, you also get a peek into PCOS power. It's an open house tour of all that is included. The learning modules, the community, the workbook, the discount, discounted dispensary, and so much more. And remember, it's free. So if you are interested, go to bit.ly slash PCOS carb cravings. Again, it's bit.ly slash PCOS carb cravings, and you will get to all the information and a place to sign up. Welcome back. Let's get to the topic at hand. How do you help your child who may get diabetes or PCOS someday? There are five things. And number one, the number one, actually, this is in no particular order, but just number one on my list is teach your child how to avoid weight cycling. Why is this important? Well, weight cycling is kind of that yo-yo diet, you know, you and your own relationship with food, you probably have gone on and off a diet many times throughout your life. At least 95% of people who start a diet will have to go on a diet more than once in order to try to get to whatever goal they're trying to get to. And and of course, for most people, they're going to regain all that weight back and a third to two thirds will regain more. And that whole experience, this starting a diet, losing weight, gaining the weight back, whether you're still on the diet or not, and then regaining more, and then starting that process all over again. That is weight cycling. This is important if you have a family history of diabetes or PCOS or insulin resistance. This is important because of the long-term research. We can name this short-term research too. It's always good just to put it out there. You know, short-term research has been able to show that dieting any type whether you're counting calories or macros or doing paleo or keto or intermittent fasting, any of those are going to help lower blood sugar and insulin levels. They're going to help cholesterol too, triglycerides. They're going to help a lot of things in the short term. Um, When we look at research that's super short term, six weeks, 12 weeks, six months, those all look super amazing for these interventions. When we look about a year out, we see that these interventions are starting to revert back to where things were previously. Very, very little research, very little nutrition research rather, goes further than that one year mark. And when we look at ones that are further out, we look at nutrition research on any of those diets, what we do find is that two years out, three years out, four years out, five years out or more, that that weight cycling experience, it causes issues with blood sugar and insulin. Since that's really the 
the main markers we're talking about today, I'm going to focus more, mostly on that, but just know it also includes blood pressure and um, cholesterol, uh, depression, all those other things that also get affected by weight cycling. But diet research and weight research or weight science rather, those only have correlational kind of connections to health, except for people at the extreme in BMI. But weight cycling research has been able to show that the the experience of weight cycling causes higher blood sugar and causes higher insulin levels. That's why I say teach your kids how to avoid weight cycling. I think it's important to like, especially when your kids are a little older, um, they may notice like celebrities (laughs) or just like influencers or whoever's popular at the time. They may notice weight changes for them. And especially if they, if your child is like a teen, being able to notice how people's weights go up and down and to be able to describe, hey, that's weight cycling. That's really normal when people lose weight to gain it back. Just to make sure that people realize like, hey, it's normal for when a person does lose weight to gain it back. So if they ever do experience um, the pressure to diet and, and go on a diet that they know that they're not at this anomaly and also to help avoid the stigma that comes when people regain the weight and, you know, teaching your kids how to avoid weight, avoid weight cycling from a health perspective is something that can help prevent their blood sugar or their insulin levels to be higher. It could help delay the onset of type 2 diabetes or PCOS, but we're not really certain. We definitely don't have enough research on that because also like besides the certainty of it, genetics are a big part of the um, actually getting diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or PCOS or both. So for some people, no matter what, the genetics are just too strong and that they're going to actually get this. But if you can help people to avoid weight cycling, it could prevent the delay and um, I wonder if it also could help with symptoms to not be as um, intense. The best way to help your kid to avoid weight cycling really is to teach them how to not diet. That is the second thing that I wanted to mention here today. You know, how do you help your child who may get diabetes or PCOS someday? Besides teaching them how to evade, avoid weight cycling, I encourage you to teach your child how to not diet. And I think it's important to name that dieting is a thing they're going to see. Earlier on in my career, I, and when my children were very little, I did want to mention the word diet. I didn't want to mention that that even existed. I kind of was like hoping to keep them in this bubble forever and not realizing that like, I can't protect them from the world and how the world experiences food. And so I'd really regret not teaching them early on how to like name what is a diet. And, you know, a diet is something that is intentionally done with your food choices to change how your body looks. And there can be different reasons. You know, this is probably more complex than especially younger kids can understand, but I bet um, teenagers could get this. But there's many reasons why people diet. People will diet, of course, to um, have a lower body weight, but also to be able to access the world. And um, this kind of is getting away from this point, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But really just helping kids to understand, hey, this is what a diet is, and helping them to understand why do people diet. 
I also think it's important to suss out that like those who diet are bad. I don't want kids to have that kind of connection to people who diet. Because for me, the way I see things is it's not the person who's dieting that is the problem. It's the diet culture. It's the systems of oppression that keep dieting such a norm. And what I encourage you to play around with is different ways to just name that in our family, we don't diet. And you may notice other families do. In a way, just recognizing that here in our family, we don't do this. And again, in other families, they may, and that's okay. It's just their choice. Everybody gets to do what they want with their body. In our family, we just don't diet. And the other side of that is, especially as your kids get older, or if your kids are in a higher weight body, are around people that don't look them like them, they may crave a diet. They may crave that experience of like fitting in and they may crave more safety at school or in other places. And I think it's really important to teach kids to notice when they are craving to go on a diet. And something that um, I know a lot of people talk about, you'll find a lot of conversations on this, is if your kid does come to you and is like, I want to go on a diet to be healthy, one of the best things we can do is just sit with them there in that moment and find out more about what they're experiencing instead of jumping on and being like, yes, let's do this together. I would strongly discourage that. Because of all the mixed messages it sends about how um, about their body, about how their body should appear, and how it's um, okay to try to to lose weight, that uh, it will be something that you will encourage. And instead of saying, "Yeah, let's do this together," one of uh, one of your children or someone you help take care of comes to you and says that you want to, they want to go on a diet to instead say, what's going on? You know, what what's making you want to do this? And reassure them that you love them no matter what they look like. You love them no matter their body size. And that bodies, as long as we're alive, are going to change. They're never going to stay the same. Kind of goes along with the rest of the world. Things are always changing. That's like the one thing we always know to be true. And our bodies are going to change too. And so by teaching your kids how to avoid weight cycling, by teaching them how to not diet, the big way to teach how to not diet is to help kids learn that like dieting is this different thing that is very common in our world, but God, it's not normal. (laughs) It's not a normal thing. It is something that has been created by these systems of oppression to help people to access more. And even trying to explain this in a podcast, I'm like, this is such a complex thing, but I hope you appreciate that a lot of this is going to come out with conversations with the young people in your life over time, not all at once. And um, I remember uh, a therapist I worked with at one point in my life, I was asking about like, oh, when's going to be the best time to talk about this. And the therapist was like, life is going to deliver you these moments on silver platters. You know when they come and you know when something's going to happen and a kid's going to bring up some kind of question, you know, and that's when you can inform them about like, oh, well, that's dieting. Yeah. And it's a thing that in our family we don't do. And um, 
If you're wanting to diet, it may mean that you're just not feeling like you belong. And let's talk about that. And I I accept you no matter what your body size is. All right. So we've gone through two. Let's go to number three. The third way to help your child who may get diabetes or PCOS someday is teach them how to trust their body. Some of this is going to be very obvious. You know, when we talk about hunger and fullness and satiety, those are all different ways that our kids get experience with um, feeling what their body is telling them. And as you talk about these things, it's really important to name them. You know, even just things like hunger and fullness, which will feel more concrete than other feelings and relatable and happen frequently enough. So then they can start to notice when their body is experiencing shifts, how to name it. And this is so fucking cool because as you um, help your kid, and again, this could be a one of your children, or this could be just someone you take care of. As you help them to name hunger and fullness and satiety, it helps kids to also form a mind-body connection with feelings. And helping kids to name hunger and fullness and satiety, I would also encourage you to help your kids to name all the feelings and get in there with it. You know, like there may be times where kids are feeling sadness and overwhelm and embarrassed and excited all at once and helping kids to be able to just name all those things and also appreciate then when we feel all these feelings, feelings are not permanent. They can't hurt you. I like to tell kids in my life that the feelings that we have, they're within us. You know, we, they're within our bodies. And so it's not bigger than us. It's something that we can sit with and it can't hurt us. Kind of a sidebar, this next part is going to be depending on how you are living in this world and how the world treats you. But certainly I've talked to lots of folks who experience more um, marginalizations than I experience. They are experiencing systemic oppressions that I just don't have lived experience with, how they over time, learned how to disconnect or numb from their body or disassociate in order to be safe. And certainly if a kid brings that up, I think it's really important to normalize all those things. Yes, that's the way that your body was keeping you safe. And um, our bodies do all these different things. I guess the, the big thing that I would encourage you to do is that I would encourage you to just normalize how messy it can be and how the feelings or not feelings, how those are experiences that are not going to hurt us. And I love this so much because if your child one day as an adolescent or an adult gets diagnosed with diabetes or PCOS or something similar, there's a lot of pressure to ignore hunger, to ignore satiety, to be ashamed of fullness and to just cut off any kind of feelings from the body. And the more that we can tightly connect the mind and body and disconnect shame from that, oh my gosh, I think that is something that will help protect our kids in our life, help protect them from the dangers of dieting and weight cycling. Because like the stronger that connection is, the more it can override that pressure. So 
Let's go on to number four. The fourth one is teach your kids to normalize and celebrate body diversity. I wish we looked at the world and noticed how we are all different sizes. I wish we were just like informed from the get-go how this is like a really healthy part of our world. We're not all supposed to be the same size. We're not all supposed to look the same way. And if we all did the same behaviors, we would still look different. That's because of body diversity. I think it's important to normalize that, celebrate that, and think about how you um, experience your family culture and your family dynamics and how you show up. How do you name your body? And if you have a kid in your life who's been around for a while, your body may have changed. And I think it's important for us all to work on how it's really normal (laughs) and important that our body does not look the same. You know, I'm almost 48. So my body doesn't look the same as it did when I was 18, graduating from high school. And gaining weight, looking different for, for most of us is how we are going to reach old age. Like that's how our bodies have evolved to be able to keep us safer as we get closer to like our elderly time of life. Why are we not taught that? Like that is so well established in research that weight gain through our early 70s is normal and expected in order for us then, once we get to our 70s, that's when weight loss is, is the normal way throughout our rest of our life. Like, why is that not talked about, normed, and again, celebrated? Because if you have the privilege of getting older, you're going to gain weight till you get older. <laughs> so, um, and then also, if, if there are different size people in your life, that is great. Like making sure your children are around different types of people, including different size people, and model how to be an ally, model how to like pick restaurants. So there's going to be a place for your friend who's in a higher weight body to be able to come and hang out at this dinner and not have to be pinched the whole time because of the uncomfortable chairs. Um, model these behaviors. So again, if you are afraid of your kid one day getting diabetes or PCOS or something like that, normalize and celebrate body diversity. And the last one is teach the kids in your life the complexity of health. This is another one that's super gray and has some nuance to it, but there's two big components to it. To teach the complexity of health, I think it's important to not just talk about physical health. We take our kids to the pediatrician every year. They go to the dentist and um, celebrating when we have access to those things and helping other people in our community to have access to those things. But also, you know, we physical health is something that is kind of prioritized, right? And when we talk about health, the assumption is we're talking about physical health. But what about emotional and spiritual health? Those are all like equally important. And when people start to feel the pressure to diet and the weight and, and health conversation is just so twisted and tangled up, this is a, that's another podcast, like how to help your kid like detangle that. This because maybe this, this conversation maybe can be a primer for it, but it goes so beyond this. 
But when those two things, when weight and health get so tangled up, if people can also remember emotional and spiritual health and honor that as equal and its importance, then when people experiment with dieting, noticing how that does affect relationships, it affects mood, it affects the spiritual side of a person's existence. And so really, again, preparing folks to then have this, I'm at a lost words for this, having kind of a, uh, a pause point, you know, when, if they're really kind of stuck in that weight equals health, that oh yeah, if I go on a diet, it's going to get in the way of me being able to hang out with my friends and to enjoy certain foods that are a part of my family. I hope it helps them pause, you know? All right. The second part of the complexity of health is starting to introduce your child to the social determinants of health. If you're not sure what that is, a good Google Scholar review would give you so much information. There's probably even a Wikipedia page on it. But social determinants of health basically helps us as um, as a whole to understand where do um, health interventions actually affect us. And there's food behaviors, there's movement, there's behaviors that can affect our mood, there's genetics, and then there's social determinants of health. <laughs> All the things outside of social determinants of health, that's like less than 25% of our health outcomes. So little of our health comes from actually the food that we eat and the way we move our body. Most of our health comes from how much power we have in the world. The more power a person has, the healthier they're going to be. How fucked up is that? How shitty is that? I know you and I were led to believe that. Our individual food choices and behaviors determined our health outcomes. But it's not. It's not that. The more power you have, the more that actually is going to do something for you. But what about the rest of the world? And instead of really focusing on the individual food behaviors that this child does every day, instead, what if there was more of a focus on How can we work for equity in our world? How can we work for body liberation for all? Which would mean helping to make access more, um, just more even. Um, Again, I'm at a loss for words. This is such a big kind of topic, but so important, you know, but helping kids understand that like, hey, we really need to help everyone in our community who doesn't have as much access as we do to going to the doctor, to enough food. We need to make sure that they have enough too. And that's going to make our whole community healthier. That's focusing less on the individual and more on the community. So many people that I have learned from talk about this concept, um, about the topic of body liberation is one that I'm really invested in. And the more I read on body liberation, the more I am just finding myself really not, <laughs> I, my training as a dietitian has, I really am seeing more and more of how it lacked the information I needed to improve health for my community because it was all based on an individual And until we help the person with the least amount of access, there's just not going to be body liberation. Until we help 
everyone have access to healthcare, there's not going to be improved health in our community. And that's what I would encourage you to just model. And when the conversations happen in your family, talk about this. So just to recap, how do you help your child who may get diabetes or PCOS someday? Teach them how to avoid weight cycling. Teach them how to not diet. Teach them how to trust their body. Normalize and celebrate body diversity. And then lastly, and probably the most important, teach kids the complexity of health. So there you have it. I hope you got something out of this episode and I hope it helps you to navigate the road ahead with any child in your life who may one day get diabetes or PCOS. If you enjoyed this episode of Find Your Food Voice, we are so glad. We love when you give us a rating or a review, subscribe or share an episode, especially sharing on your social media. We love this so much because it helps more people find us. So thank you in advance. And this episode of Find Your Food Voice is brought to you by our PCOS Carb Cravings class. It is free and we are going to be doing the last episodes of this um, next round. It's going to be the last one until I think August. So get to all the details and sign up at bit.ly slash PCOS Carb Cravings. All right. I will see you next week. Next week episode is a diet culture IRL and it is a very good one. I do say so myself, but I look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice Pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Brebner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care.